Thanks for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. Good morning and welcome to Valley Point. My name is Ben and I'm one of the pastors here at the church and would just like to say thank you for choosing to join us this morning. For all of those who might be watching us on Facebook, from different vacationing areas, perhaps you're at the beach or maybe at the shore, or maybe you're at some other really lovely tropical paradise. Not that we're bitter here or anything. We would never pray for rain or anything like that. We're doing just fine here. But in all seriousness, we hope that you enjoy your vacations. If that's where you are, if that's where you're watching from, enjoy that as much as you can with your family and friends. And welcome to everyone in this room this morning. As we continue our current summer teaching series called Reclaiming Sacred Words. And throughout this series, we've been taking a look at some ancient words and saying, okay, these used to be held commonplace in everyday language. Well, they don't necessarily do that today. We may not use them. Some of the words may have been replaced by other words Or maybe some still actually have significant meaning for us, and we need to reclaim that meaning for us today. And we're going to look at another word today that's going to do just that. This particular word holds very significant meaning for every Christ follower, every Christian in this room today. Not just for Christians. This word we're going to talk about today holds significant meaning for every living person today. Got your interest a little bit? Well, this word is going to help us walk through the content of today because as we open Scripture and as we begin to read from Genesis, we begin to see the creation story unfold right before our eyes as we are reading. It talks about God creating the universe, creating our world, creating every living thing inside of our world. And I was reminded of how awesome his creation is this week as my family and I, we went on vacation and we drove with three young children to Georgia. So yes, you can feel bad for me, but on the way down, we stopped in Virginia and we found this lookout area. It's beautiful landscape. There's hills. I believe this is part of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Not definite. So if you recognize the the lookout, you can correct me later. But then we continued to Georgia. We spent a week with my family there. And then on the way back, we actually stopped and stayed in Virginia for a couple of nights. And again, a very beautiful state park called the Natural Bridge State Park. We actually were able to kind of hike down to what is known as the Natural Bridge. If you've been there, it's, it's really something to see in person. And in the evenings, they would hold a light show that was synced with an, with an audio recording. And what was, what was kind of interesting was that this audio recording has been going on since the 1920s. And they've updated the light show since then, obviously, and it was really neat. And as the audio plays and the lights show on the stone, as in this picture at nighttime, it tells the story of creation. 
And it walks through in this magnificent setting the wonders of creation. It's very, very interesting. And so as we look at Scripture, it doesn't take long to realize after creation that man rebelled. And it was this rebellion that initiated sin's presence in a perfect created environment. And what that sin did was it broke creation. And it broke our communication with God. And it broke our communion and our companionship with him. And God said, this is why I created you. I wanted to have companionship with you. So immediately after man's rebellion, God puts into place a redemptive plan. A redemptive plan that is unveiled gradually through history. And it's all documented within scripture. And it evolves throughout time. And this word that we're going to look at today really is the common thread throughout all of Scripture. It connects the Old Testament before Christ with the New Testament after Christ. And it helps us to understand God in a better way. It helps us understand Scripture in a different way because we all come across, as we read through different passages, some really hard verses to reconcile because it seems as though God deals differently with people throughout history. He communicates with people differently through different time periods. He deals with sin differently through different time periods. And he distributes justice, punishment, and justice differently throughout different periods in history. And at the surface, it really doesn't make sense. It seems like there is so much inconsistency in the way God is acting throughout human history. But this word we're going to look like brings into focus why some of this existed. And it's going to help us better understand Scripture as we read through it. As the word we're going to talk about today, we're going to reclaim this word, covenant. Again, not a word that's necessarily used frequently in our everyday language now. But in its ancient practices, this is one of the central themes throughout Scripture. And it's not just God who uses these terms. It was commonplace. It was in the context of when Scripture was written. They were usually public documents, and they required witnesses. So they were public documents, so there's some legal language surrounding these covenants. And then there were witnesses to the covenants. And there were usually stipulations to say, okay... If you obey, if you stay committed to this covenant, then blessings will occur. If not, punishment. So these were the stipulations that were often found. The, the most, I, I was trying to think of what's the most common, common uh, everyday um, similarities to this. And I, I think it'd probably be maybe treaties that countries make with one another. So you have different countries come together and they say, okay, we're going to abide by a certain standard. And if all of these countries abide by these standards, peace, all's good, we can, we can continue. But if somebody breaks one of these essential foundational rules that we've come up with, then who knows what can happen? War can break out. 
And you may have also heard this term in a wedding ceremony. So perhaps you've been to a wedding and the minister talks about marriage being a covenant relationship, which scripture teaches this as well. And you have these two people that stand before many witnesses and before God, and they make vows to one another, promises. And they say, we're going to keep these promises for life. So this is a covenant between a man and a woman to say, these vows we commit to one another for a lifetime. So those are some kind of some of the, the modern day uses of these types of things. But what we want to kind of talk about today is how does God use the idea and the practices of covenants throughout human history? So here's our big idea for today. So this is going to be our overarching idea that's going to guide our conversation, and it's this. God's covenants progressively reveal his redemptive plan to help all people return to him. So let's take a moment. Let's stop and internalize this statement. Let's think about this statement. So God's covenants progressively reveal his redemptive plan to help all people return to him. Remember, we talked about just a few moments ago when God created the world, sin soon entered, and a redemptive plan was necessary to reunite the togetherness of God and his creation. And these covenants that we're going to look at is his redemptive plan. And they slowly reveal And they slowly evolve throughout all of history. And each covenant reveals just a little bit more about God's redemptive plan for humanity. And then ultimately, it concludes how God intended to reconcile people back into relationship with him. So that's our overarching theme our big idea. So here's our first thinking point that I want us to consider that's going to help us kind of project through the next portion of our conversation, and it's this. God's historical relationship with people is revealed through covenants. As we read scripture, we see God establishing covenants with people, and this defines his relationship with people throughout history. And these would be considered divine covenants as God is being a partner in these. And these covenants are promises from God. They're formalized in a legal framework. Again, this is just due to the contemporary setting of the writings. They're solemnized with a sacrifice or a symbol. So there's something in place that reminds us these covenants are in place by God. And then they are guaranteed with an oath. So these are a very big deal. And when we see God establishing covenants in Scripture, it's important for us to stop and to take notice. Because here's the creator of the world saying, I'm making you a promise, and I'm sealing that with an oath. So imagine if God was to break one of these covenants. Complete trust in his creation would be severed. So God's putting his divine reputation on the line by establishing these covenants throughout history. So these are a very big deal, and we're not going to have time, just so you guys know, we're not going to have time to 
get into great detail into each of these covenants. It would, you could have a whole sermon series on just each of these covenants. But what I've done is I've also provided some additional information. So after today, if you still want to study this further, I have provided some more details that you can pick up at the Just For You area. As you leave, it's got the, the covenants that we're going to talk about today, the scripture references that uh, all of them align with, and a lot of other information about each of the covenants. So if that's of interest to you, grab that, and let's get into this, all right? This is going to be a little bit of an information dump on all of you, so here's what I would encourage you to do. So go ahead, inside that program, there's some talk notes. This is going to help Follow, help you follow along with all of this content. For all of you who love history and are really interested in biblical history, this is going to be really exciting and interesting for you. And those who don't, sorry, it's what, what's going to happen today. Hopefully some of it is interesting for you. So get a pen out, take some notes, and let's get into this together. And then at the end of today, if history's not your thing, we are going to funnel this all into something practical for us today. So just hang on, and we'll make it through this morning together. All right, so the first covenant, the first historical covenant that we find in Scripture, and a lot of people might debate, some scholars debate that there, there are some other covenants that might be assumed through different things in Scripture, but these are named these are the historical covenants named in Scripture. So the first one is known as the Noahic Covenant, named after the person Noah in 2348 B.C. So in other words, a very long time ago. And this covenant was made with Noah, all of his descendants. But what makes this particularly unique as a covenant is that God doesn't just make this with humans. This is a covenant he makes with the animal kingdom and all of creation. So all of creation benefits from this covenant. It's an unconditional and everlasting covenant, meaning that Noah or anyone else, they didn't have to do anything in order for God to come through with his promises. So very different than most covenants that were established. Remember, there's usually stipulations where there's no stipulations. God says, I'm just going to do this for creation. And here's the promise. God said, I will never again destroy the earth with a flood. We've all maybe heard that throughout Sunday school, and it's, it's true and it's interesting, but there's a greater significance here. There's even a, a greater underlining significance to this promise. And it's that God is promising that he will not wipe out creation again until a satisfactory means of restoring man's relationship with him could be presented to the world. So this covenant ensures God's justice for all creation. The sign or the symbol that would represent this covenant is the rainbow. So God says, I'm going to set into place this rainbow that's going to serve as a visual reminder to all mankind of God's everlasting covenant with his creation. And what this will represent is God resting his ultimate judgment until salvation could be accomplished. This is a beautiful visual. I mean, everybody loves a rainbow. We stop 
and we look at it, and we take pictures of it, and we post pictures of it, and we send pictures to our friends. Oh, check out this awesome rainbow. My kids go crazy over these things. But it's a natural wonder that God created to remind us of his power and his ultimate control over all creation. And it serves, even today, as a visual reminder of this covenant that God made. It's unconditional, and all creation benefits. So that was the first covenant that God established with people. And this begins to unveil just a little bit about God's redemptive plan. So then the next covenant we find is the Abrahamic covenant. It was made with Abraham in 1913 BC, again, a very long time ago. And it was made with Abraham and his descendants, who would eventually go on to become the nation of Israel. And God determined to call out a special people in whom he would bless all people. So this wasn't to exclude other nations from God's blessing, but he said, I'm going to use one nation to bless all nations. I'm going to use one people to be a blessing to all people. And he doesn't tell Abraham what this means. And nobody knew exactly what this meant, but it was just God in human history revealing a little bit more about his redemptive plan. He says, through one nation, I'm going to bless all nations. The sign or the symbol for this isn't as nice as the rainbow in the sky. The symbol for this covenant would be male circumcision. All males were to be circumcised to carry with them a lifelong mark on their flesh that they were a part of God's physical blessings to the world. A very meaningful and symbolic practice in the Jewish culture. This was also an unconditional and everlasting covenant. And this was God's promise to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I promise to give you land. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to make a great nation Out of you. I promise to you blessings and I promise to you ultimate redemption. And Israel becomes established. God comes through with his promises. Israel becomes an established nation. And then God makes a third covenant with his people. It's called the Mosaic Covenant, probably one of the ones that we're more familiar with. This was established with Moses in 1491 BC. It was made with Moses and all of Israel. And this is a much different covenant than what we've seen to this point because it's his only conditional covenant. So there are conditions involved. And get this, it was only meant to be a temporary placeholder. So this covenant was not everlasting. It was not unconditional like all of the others. This was conditional and was meant to be temporary. This is very important in understanding God's relationships with humans throughout history because he functioned very differently with people throughout this time. But it's important to note that it wasn't intended to be this way forever, but God gives Israel a set of commands written on stone. We refer to them today as the Ten Commandments which they were to follow. And the promise was this. If they were to follow these commands that God gave to them, then he would bring their nation honor. He would bless them. He would raise them above all other nations 
and he would keep them there. But they had to keep their end of the covenant. And the sign or the symbol of this covenant was the Sabbath. So God says, I want to establish a day, one day throughout the week, where you stop and you remember my blessings and you worship me and you tell your children of the stories of me and you teach your families about me. So this day would serve as a regular reminder of the one true God that they were to worship. We'll find that obeying these commands, again, only served as a temporary guide of standards of living and of right and wrong until a better law could be instituted. And this is how God would function for a very long time with people. But it's important to also note that when God establishes a new covenant to this point, it doesn't erase the prior covenants. So the Noahic and the Abrahamic covenant are still in place. Remember, they're everlasting. And so he now puts another covenant on top of all of these, again, revealing a little bit more about his redemptive plan. And the intention here is that Israel, by following these commands, would serve as an example to the rest of the world of right living, of what God wanted from his creation. So this is the Mosaic Covenant. And then the, the, the last and final Old Testament covenant that we find is a Davidic covenant. It was named after David in 1042 B.C. It was made with David, who was an Israelite king, and his descendants. And here was the promise. God promised David that one of his descendants would establish his line on the throne of Israel forever. This is another unconditional an everlasting covenant. David didn't have to do anything for this to be true. In fact, David and his descendants would all fail to meet the laws that God had established. And they would be punished at times for not following these laws. But God said, I promise that I will never remove the line of kingship from David. There's only one way that this could be true, that this could be an everlasting and unconditional line. And the sign for this covenant would be the eventual resurrection and enthronement of King Jesus. So we talked about our first thinking point that kind of guided us through our first section of thinking points there. So let's take a deep breath. Ah, you guys did very good. Give yourselves a round of applause. You got through all of the Old Testament covenants. Congratulations. But here's thinking point number two that's going to help get us through this next portion, and it's this. God's present relationship, get this, with people is also revealed through a covenant. So we still live under the covenants of God. The prophet Jeremiah foretold of a new covenant. It would move from stone laws written for the hardened hearts of men and a new law would be presented that would be written on the hearts of men and it was inaugurated by Jesus himself. So this was foretold, we're going to see, 600 years before Christ ever got to the scene in the earth. And here's what Jeremiah says. 
The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is a new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, and I will put my instructions. So get this. Pay attention to this. God says, I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. This new covenant is much, much different than the prior ones. God's plan would shift from this Old Testament set of laws written on stones, again, for the hardened hearts of man, and he would soften the hearts of man. And instead of written on stone, he's going to write his laws on the hearts of all people through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. And this covenant, regardless of greatness, regardless of nationality, regardless of gender or race or class, all would be welcome to engage with God in this covenantial relationship. This new covenant was also currently referred to as a messianic covenant, named after the Messiah, Jesus. In 33 AD, this covenant was made to all people. It was unconditional, is everlasting. So no more work needed to be done on our part. God completed all of the work. So there's nothing we could do to earn this partnership with God. And there's nothing we could do to forfeit this covenantal relationship with God. Scripture says all that's needed is belief. If we believe, we receive. Well, what do we receive? We receive the benefits of this new covenant, a right standing before God. And it's eternal. So we can't lose this. It can't be stolen away from us. And it's a binding agreement between our creator God and us. The sign or the symbol of this new covenant was the bread and the cup. Jesus sat with his disciples in an evening supper the night before he was to be arrested and crucified. And he says, take this bread, drink from this cup, and do this in remembrance of me. As often as you do this, communion serves as even a modern-day reminder of Jesus' sacrifice, but also of the new covenant that God has established with us and says, through my son, Jesus Christ, you have been made right with me. It's unconditional, and it cannot be broken by man. It seals salvation. It brings into focus all of the past covenants and how they only serve as a temporary placeholder until a new and better and lasting covenantal partner could be established with God. So as a recap, we have Noah. 
God says, I'll never destroy the earth by a flood again. We have Abraham. Israel is being used to bless all nations. Moses, the one, the one conditional covenant broken by man, later erased and replaced with the new covenant. David, God will preserve his line to the throne forever. And then the new covenant, Jesus puts all of the pieces back together where man failed he succeeded. And Jesus was the only one who could fulfill the covenants. Jesus is from the family of Abraham. So through one man, through one nation, all nations would be blessed. Jesus is the only faithful Israelite who could truly obey the law, being the perfect covenantal partner for God. Jesus is from the line of David, and he extends God's mercy and peace to all people. So Jesus is the faithful covenantal partner that we could never be, and it's through him the door is open for us to be a partner with God once again. And we're not completely returned to him. Of course, we still have our human nature, we still have sin in our lives, but it's through belief in Jesus that our sin gets covered by his sacrifice and we become acceptable to God once again. So how do we take all of this information? And it was a lot to kind of funnel it into some practical application for us today. What can we walk away with? So our first takeaway is this. God wants you to return to him. God wants you to return to him. The promise of this covenant is found plainly as the apostle John writes in John 3.16. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. God loved the world so much that he gave you his son, to establish a new covenant. He provided the redemptive measures needed to be rightly partnered with him and says, you don't need to do anything else except believe that all who believe in Jesus will receive eternal life. It kind of puts me in a state of awe when I think about that as scripture records from the earliest moments of human history, as soon as man rebelled, God puts in to work this redemptive plan. And we can read throughout all of human history, through the Old Testament, through the New Testament. And the story continues and eventually gets to you and I in this room on this day, God says, I want you to return to me. And then our second takeaway for today is this. God has provided the way. He's provided the way, and it breaks down into four statements pulled directly from the apostle uh, John's writings in John 3.16. 
And it's this, God loved, God gave, we believe, we receive. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son to be the perfect covenantial partner so that if we believe, we receive all of the benefits of this new promise that God has given to humanity. The Bible and all of it's complicated, hard to imagine, hard to understand, hard to reconcile with modern day culture, simply tells a supremely organized and sacred story of God's redemptive plan to draw all people back to him. We see this as the common thread throughout all of history. Instead of creating a new beginning in the same means as he did with Noah, he says, I'm not going to destroy creation again. I've showed you that 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 still isn't good enough. So I'm not going to destroy creation. I'm going to send my son to be destroyed for all creation. It's a new beginning. Scripture ends with a new beginning, a better beginning. And it still hasn't fully been evolved because we are still awaiting the return of Jesus as eternal king. But all of the covenants are fulfilled in terms of necessity. There's no need for another covenant. All has been presented. Everything we need is in place to find the right relationship with God. So we are left with one final question which every living person is left with is, will we choose to believe and receive or will we turn and decline this covenantial partnership with God through his son, Jesus? Would you pray with me? God, thank you for our time together. Thank you for your revelation that you've given to us and preserved for us so that we can understand what you want from us and what you desire to have with us. And we say we are deeply sorry for breaking the original intention of your creation. We've all sinned. We've all broken that communication, that companionship with you that you long for. And I would pray that for those today who have trusted in your son, Jesus, that they would be again reminded of the great sacrifice in which you presented for us. And that we stand in awe and we say, thank you, thank you for saving us. And for those in the room that have never made that decision for themselves, I pray that you would continue to stir in them this need and this desire. Because we've all tried different.
different avenues to fill that empty space within us that only you can fill. And I pray that they would trust in you and they would trust in your son, Jesus, even this very day, cry out to you and accept this new and better and perfect covenant so that we can find a proper standing with you. We pray all of these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.